Last week, I made mention of a few lists that I came across a while back online of things people never say. And I want to share a couple more lists to you. These are pretty fun. I thought it'd be fun this morning to first uh, share with you a list of things no true Texan would ever say. So you true Texans in here, you let me know if this is true. Number one, trim the fat off that steak. No true Texan would say that, right? How about this? Unsweetened tea just tastes better. Would you like your fish poached or broiled? Here's another one. Duct tape won't fix that. I like this one. We don't keep firearms in this house. Probably not. And how about this one? You'll probably never hear a true Texan say, there are too many Texas flags in this neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, I got one more list here of things no true Cowboys fan would ever say. And I can agree with with those on this list. Cowboys fans, y'all let me know. Uh, You'll never hear a true Cowboys fan say, I don't think the Super Bowl is in our near future. Uh, We're no longer America's team, right? No. Uh, I think we need to change the look of our uniforms. Probably not. How about this one? Um, Five Super Bowls, still not as many as the Steelers. Probably not, yeah. We got a Steelers fan back there. She would say that, yeah, yeah. And uh, the last one I know to be true, how about them Redskins? No, 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 no. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 18. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts entitled To the Ends of the Earth. And today we're going to be looking at the end of this chapter and we're going to be focusing in on the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos in Ephesus. And I want to highlight for you as we look at this ministry, the ministry of this this godly couple and this champion for Christ, a few more things that you will never hear God say in his word. But first I want to do a bit of a review. Last week we were looking at Paul in transition at the end of his second missionary journey and the beginning of his third And we looked at Paul in transition and we drew out principles from last week as well of of things that God would never say. And I want to review these for us and we'll put them up on the screen. You don't have these uh, spot for this in your notes. First, we said, you'll never hear God say, my work depends on you. Though God's word is filled with stories of great men and women of faith, who do great things in God's word, his work is not ultimately contingent upon them. And his work is not on our shoulders either. Do you realize that, believers? Not on mine, not on yours, and Paul is no exception to this. Last week we talked about the fact that though God used him in great and mighty ways, throughout his ministry, and especially when he was in Corinth, he eventually called him away out of that city along with this power couple from Rome, Aquila and Priscilla. And after they left, a strong church remained and continued to thrive. Now, they had issues later on. Paul has to write a few letters to them, and he sends Apollos to them. But even though that's the case, Paul makes it clear when he writes his letter 
to the Christians at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he says, while I was with you, though I planted, and while Apollos was with you, though he watered, it was God who brought the growth. God is the one who brought the fruit in that area. And he worked in and through Paul and Apollos and others to do it. We talked about last week that it's important for us believers to keep this truth in mind. That God does not need us. He doesn't. That keeps us humble. But he wants us. And he has chosen to use us for his purposes and, and for his kingdom growth and for his glory. And I said last week, this is a brilliant work that God does because the fact that he wants us and has chosen to use us and calls for us to be his witnesses, that keeps us busy faithfully serving him. But it also keeps us humble knowing that he is the one who brings the increase. Another thing we uh, talked about last week that you'll never hear God say in his word is this. Number two, I am more concerned with what you do for me publicly than the way in which you live for me privately. Never hear God say that. We said, though God wants you here in his church, studying his word alongside his people, and though he wants you plugged in to his church and wants you serving those in the church through the ministries of the church and wants you reaching out to people in the community, he is just as concerned with who you are before him when no one else is around. And in fact, we said, who you are in those moments, surprise, surprise, it's who you really are. Who you are when it's just you and God, that's who you are. Who you are in here, who you are in here, that's who you are. God knows who you really are. Paul understood this. He had a personal and loving and intimate relationship with the Lord. And Luke highlights that in our our passage last week we looked at. He highlighted that for us when he mentions the fact that while Paul's traveling, when he's in Sincrea, he gets his hair cut. Now, why does he mention that important detail? Because he, he tells us Paul was under a vow. He was taking a Nazarite vow. We talked about the ins and outs of what a Nazarite vow was Last week, I'm not going to go into detail on that today. You can, you can get online and listen to the sermon from last week. But we said that Luke mentions that detail to highlight the fact that Paul had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. In fact, we said that there would be no public ministry of Paul's if there was not this private one-on-one personal relationship with him. We said that... Uh, His personal devotion, Paul's personal devotion to God is what enabled him to be publicly devoted to him and to his people and to his ministry. So folks, God is not just concerned about what you do for him publicly. He is concerned with the way in which you live for him privately. Third, we said this. God will never say there is only one type of person I can use. For my kingdom work. We learned about that in verses 19 through 21. We learn that all throughout God's word. We learn as we, we, we read God's word and observe his kingdom work all throughout history and today. God uses all kinds and types of people for his kingdom work. Men and women, the lowly and the prestigious. 
the educated and the uneducated, the rich and the poor. Again, his work is not contingent upon, it's not dependent upon any one type of, of individual. We see this highlighted all throughout his word. We see God use one type of individual, and then that person will die, and he'll raise up somebody, sometimes completely different from the other, and he'll do even greater works through them. And he can do the same with us. He could replace me and raise up someone completely different from me and use them in even greater ways. And it's important that we, we keep this mentality in mind as well. That though God has uniquely gifted you, he has gifted people who are gifted in ways that you're not. And he desires to use them in his church and for his purposes and for his glory as well. It's important that we see the need for, for people gifted in ways we're not serving in the church and, and understand that God's working through them as well and that we appreciate one another and work alongside one another in this great work that God has called us to. Another thing we discussed last week that God would never say in his word is that we don't need his people. We don't need his people. We, we said last week that Paul openly and honestly expressed his need for God's people in the work of ministry. Though Paul experienced a lot of high highs in ministry, he went through some dark and difficult times. He was going through that as he was in Corinth. We're not told that by Luke and Acts, but we're told that by Paul in 1 Corinthians. He was going through a dark and difficult time. And when Paul did, he, he expressed his need. He depended upon his brothers and sisters in Christ for help. And we said that if Paul needed his brothers and sisters in Christ in his time of need, believers, we need it in ours. We do. And we need to hear this because we're independent, right? We pride ourselves in being independent. When we go through difficult times, we're just to kind of suck it up, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and move on. That is not what God calls for in his word. He calls for you to look side to side to your brothers and sisters in Christ and rely upon them for help, for wisdom and direction and for courage and for comfort and for strength. And lastly, we ended last week by saying there's one more thing you'll never hear God say in his word, and that is that discipleship is not all that important. You'll never hear him say that. In fact, you hear the opposite, right? Before Christ left this earth, he told his disciples that they were to be making disciples. And that assignment for his people to be his witnesses and make disciples to the ends of the earth, that extends to us today, believers. That work is not yet completed. It falls on our shoulders. And we, we see in the book of Acts that making disciples was a priority in Paul's life and ministry. We learned that after he was finished with his second missionary journey, he rests for a while in Antioch, and then he sets back out on his third missionary journey, and where does he go? To the same place he went on his first missionary journey and his second missionary journey, right back through Galatia. Why does he do that? There are already churches there. There are already believers there. Why did he go there? Luke tells us, to strengthen all the disciples there. Discipleship was a priority in Paul's ministry. There's this big push today in missions ministry 
to just bypass all of these established works around the world and just go out to the ends of the earth and make Christ known where he is not known. And we're to be doing that, but we're not to bypass established works. Paul didn't do that. Though he went to areas he had never been and made God's gospel known there, he also went back to the churches that he had planted to make disciples and strengthen the disciples there. Why? Because Christ didn't just call us to make new believers, folks. He called for us to make disciples and to produce reproducing disciples who in turn produce reproducing disciples who in turn do what? Very good. Yeah. That's the calling. It's on our life. So that God's work will, will grow exponentially. So that his kingdom will advance. Very, very important. That's why in our mission statement, we don't stop with the squirt, right? Though we want to see people who don't know Christ come to know Christ, we also want to see them established in truth and equipped for ministry so that they'll produce reproducing disciples. That's the point. Well, we're going to look at three more things this morning as we look at Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos. In their story. Here's the first thing we learn as we look at their story that God would never say. Here it is. Solid people never need correction. You will never hear God say this in his word. We're going to see this in verses 24 through 26, but let me set it up for us. Remember, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla have left Corinth, and they eventually land in Ephesus, and Paul left them there, and he heads for Caesarea and then on to Jerusalem, then on to Antioch to rest for a while. Then he sets out on his third missionary journey. And he'll eventually make his way back around to Ephesus, but he goes through Galatia and Phrygia first. So for a while, it's Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. They're left to minister there. And they encounter, while they're there, a young preacher by the name of Apollos. Let's pick up reading of verse 24. Look at it with me. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. All right. So in verse 24, we're introduced to this guy named Apollos. He was a Jew from Alexandria, a prominent city in this day. And we're told he was an eloquent man who was competent. Now, I don't really like the translation of that word. It's the Greek word dunatos, which means dynamic. He was, he was more than just competent. He was, he was dynamic. He was mighty. He was skilled in the scriptures. He had a thorough knowledge of the word of God. And we're told that he had come to Ephesus from Alexandria, a prominent great city in the ancient world. There was a great Jewish population in Alexandria. I read somewhere where there were close to a million Jews in that city at that time, which is a lot, and they were, they were in pockets all over the city. So Apollos wasn't this Jew. He was living just in this sort of isolated and this heavily populated Gentile area. He was raised in a Jewish family in a Jewish community. 
And we're told he was an eloquent man. The word translated eloquent is only used here in Scripture, and it actually refers to two things. It combines two ideas, knowledge and speech. This means that not only was Apollos a gifted communicator, but he was highly intelligent. He was a very learned man. Most of the time, he was the smartest guy in the room. And he was probably without equal as a speaker. I, I like how the King James translates it. It says he was mighty in the scriptures. Apollos knew his Bible, which was just the Old Testament, right, at this time. And he knew how to teach it. And people would come from all around to hear him speak. We get an idea of how much people loved Apollos when we read in 1 Corinthians because we learn in this messy church they had a lot of problems. And one of their big problems was they were divided. They were divided up into all these different groups. You had one group that said, we're followers of Paul. Other groups said, no, no, we're followers of Peter. And then there was even an arrogant Jesus group. We're in the Jesus group, you know, as if Jesus would be divided from his own people. And then you had a group that said, we're followers of Apollos. So that, that gives you an idea. People put him on par with, with Peter and Paul. They loved Paulo, Apollos. They were, they were drawn to him. They gladly followed him. He was a gifted Bible teacher, a skilled preacher, and a natural leader. Notice also that Apollos was more than just a gifted Jewish leader and teacher and preacher from Alexandria. He was different from the Jews that you would encounter in that day in the synagogues in the cities. Look at verse 25. We're told that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now that set him apart a bit. We're told he was fervent and passionate and enthusiastic in spirit and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So he had been instructed about Jesus, probably from another Jew who had sat under John the Baptist. We get the idea that, that Apollos was, was educated while he was in Alexandria, and the person who taught him was probably sat under John the Baptist for, for a little while, all right? And he learned a bit about Jesus, and what he taught about Jesus, he taught accurately. So, so anytime Apollos was in a formal setting or, or talking one-on-one -on -one about Jesus, what he shared was on point. The word translated accurately is the, the Greek word akrobos, okay? And what that means is he taught Jesus with exactness, with, with precision. What he knew about Jesus, he taught it accurately. His teaching was not sloppy. He spent a great deal of time in, in study, and what he taught was on point. So what's the issue then? What's the problem? with Apollos. He sounds great, doesn't he? Well, well, here's the issue. His knowledge only went so far. Look at verse 25. He knew only the baptism of John. The issue with Apollos is that his theology, though his theology that he had was correct, it was incomplete. What he knew about the person and work of Jesus only went so far, and it stopped short of salvation. Probably had a good handle on man's sin and a need for a savior. He probably had repented like John called his followers to do. And he probably, when he taught about Jesus, he taught about the fact that he was the promised one to come, but for whatever reason, his theology felt short. It fell short. 
Probably some of those who sat under John, they probably cut out before the finished work of Christ. And they taught Apollos about Jesus to just a point, but it, but it fell short. He was leaving out a bit of the story here. So Apollos, as smart as he was, as, as gifted as he was, as talented a preacher as he was, as gifted a speaker as he was, as committed to studying the scriptures as he was, he had holes in his theology. And many believe that he had a hole in his heart spiritually. There's a, this is a, a big debate uh, among uh, Bible teachers of whether or not Apollos is saved at this point or not. And that's really a second shelf issue because we all agree that he eventually was saved and was used in a mighty way uh, for God and for his glory. And we really don't know, but, but I place him in the category with those Old Testament saints looking for a Messiah to come. And that Messiah had come and had accomplished salvation. He just didn't know the ins and outs of that yet. He's sort of in the group that uh, Paul encounters in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. We'll talk about next time that, that we're in Acts. And uh, this, this group, they were uh, Jewish disciples of John the Baptist that Paul had an encounter with. And they were very well acquainted, once again, with John's message of our sinfulness and our need to repent and about a Messiah to come, but they didn't have the whole story. But it appears as if Apollos has a bit more understanding than they do, but he still has some holes in his theology. So, what does Aquila and Priscilla do? Look at verse 26 again. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And you know what that word accurately, you know what Greek word that is? Akrobos, the one I just told you about. To explain with precision, with exactness. So, so Apollos, what he knows about Jesus, he's explaining it correctly. He's on point, but his knowledge only goes so far. So we're told that Aquila and Priscilla, they hear that, they take him aside, and they explain to him the whole story completely with accuracy, on point. They, they, they give him the entire accurate teaching about Jesus. So once again, Apollos, as smart as he was, as gifted a Bible teacher as he was, as gifted a speaker as he was, as passionate and as genuine a man as he was, he needed to be taken aside and corrected. And folks, none of us are above that, are we? We're not. None of us have it all figured out. And I've found that those who think they do usually are more confused than everyone else. It's normally the case. So important that we speak into each other's lives like Aquila and Priscilla do here with Apollo so that we can be sharpened as God's instrument so that we can make an even greater impact in his world for his kingdom and for his glory. I have no doubt that this encounter with Aquila and Priscilla was a turning point in Apollos' life. God then took him from there and used him in great and mighty ways for his glory. And believers, the application for us is very, very simple. We need to have these kinds of relationships. And, and the way we do is by getting plugged into the ministries of the church. 
so that so that we can be sharpened and so that we can sharpen others to make an impact for God in the world. One of the main purposes of our equipping class and when we did our FPU classes is information and instruction. You come during those times to grow in your knowledge of who God is and grow in your knowledge of his word. And the reason why is because the way we think influences the way in which we live, right? If you want to live rightly, you got to think rightly. And that's what we focus on in those classes. And in our small group ministries and in our men's and women's Bible studies, though, though there is that going on as well, there is instruction taking place. Those groups are for the purpose of building relationships with people so that you can speak into their lives and they can speak into yours so that you can sharpen one another and grow and make an impact for God in this world. You don't need to just be running around correcting people you don't know. That won't go over well. But you do need to be investing in people and earn an audience with people and develop relationships with people so that your impact will be well-received, so that it'll make an impact. And oftentimes I've found in these groups, though the material helps sharpen us, and though the person leading the group helps with that, oftentimes it's those in the group that help with that. I've seen many times in these group meetings, someone will share something that's off doctrinally. And one of their friends that they, they have developed relationships in the group will address that false view in love and they'll correct their thinking on that particular thing. That happens a lot. There, there are other times when I, I've seen people in these groups, they, they talk about their relationship with Jesus and the Spirit of God will make it obvious to someone in the group that they are a sinner in need of saving and they'll give their life up and over to Jesus. That has happened and it does happen. It's so very important that you get plugged in here in this way so that you can speak into people's lives and so that people can speak into your lives and so that we can diagnose where we are or are not spiritually so that we can be better equipped to make an impact for God in his world for the sake of his kingdom and for his glory. Notice something else here. Aquila and Priscilla don't just write Apollos off. That's so very important for you to realize. Many have a tendency to do that. They'll hear something taught. It's not altogether right and they'll just leave the church or or they'll shout shout out that that person's a heretic do something make a scene split the church but is that what they do here there was a major hole in apollos's understanding of the gospel and they have to address it but they don't cast him aside you know what they do they take him aside and they correct him in love and from what we know about Apollos going forward, he takes their advice. He applies that. And, and God uses that encounter with them to better equip him for the work of ministry. So we learn here, at times, solid people, pastors, church leaders, mature lay people need correcting. We all need it. I need it, and I know that you do. Okay? So... You will never hear God say, solid people never need correction. Here's the next point. You also never hear God say, solid believers do not need solid pastors. You never hear him say it. Look at verse 27. And when he, Apollos, wished to cross to Achaia, 
the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Though he said last week, and we said a bit today, that God's work is not on our shoulders. The success of his ministry is not contingent upon any one of us and that we are replaceable in God's kingdom work we also learn once again God has chosen to use us and he has chosen certain individuals to play pivotal roles in God's kingdom work and we also learn as we just saw in the previous passage that he equips those he calls to do this great work and he sends those he calls and equips to certain places to equip other believers there for the work of ministry notice he sends Apollos to Achaia we know the city in Achaia is Corinth and that's where Paul uh, I'm sorry Apollos did ministry there in in the city of Corinth and we're told that when he arrived he greatly helped those who through God's grace believed notice here you have God and man working together in the work of ministry you see that we're told that Apollos greatly helped those who through God's grace believed now can we just pause here for a moment and admit that that's awesome that we get to serve alongside God in his kingdom work. I I know it's God who who brings the growth. He brings the fruit. He brings the increase. He brings the success. But Apollos watered. Paul planted. We get to take part with God in this great kingdom work. You always hear professional athletes talk about what an honor it is to play for this coach or with those players and actors and actresses talk about what a joy it is to work with him or her or star in that movie with that particular director believers we get to partner with God in his kingdom work and we learn in scripture that those who are willing those who are faithful at times he uses in great and mighty ways he uses Apollos in great ways in Corinth and believe me they needed it Don't believe me, just read 1 Corinthians. They needed it. They they needed a solid pastor teacher to equip them for the work of ministry. There are some believers today who think that they are above and beyond being under any sort of pastoral leadership. They do. They, They think there's nothing more anybody can teach me. There's no point in me being here except to show the pastors and leaders and others where they're off doctrinally. Listen, you may think that, but that mentality goes counter to what God says in his word. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that Christ has given gifts to the church. And one of those gifts is the gift of the pastor teacher. And some are more of a gift than others, I know. I'm okay with that. And the purpose of him giving that gift of the pastor teacher is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Apollos was a gift to the Christians in Corinth. They needed a man equipped by God who was mighty in the scriptures, who had been instructed in the way of the Lord, who was passionate in spirit and who spoke and taught with exactness the things concerning Jesus. Apollos was that man. Well, there's one final thing we learn here that God would never say as we study about Apollos and 
Aquila and Priscilla in, in their, their ministry here in, in Acts 18. We've talked this morning about the fact that solid people never need correction. Solid believers do not need solid pastors. And here's the last point that we just see clearly here. God would never say this. He'll never say that there is no way we can come to know Jesus is the Christ. You will not hear God say there is no way that we can come to know for a fact that Jesus is his man, his son, his Christ, his Messiah, and our Savior. Look at verse 28. For he, Apollos, powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, we know what kind of opposition was in Corinth, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. When Paul came into Corinth, he went into the synagogue and his message was rejected by them. So he kind of washes his hands of the Jews in the synagogue and then he goes right next door and continues on in ministry and God plucks out two of the leaders in the synagogue for his kingdom work. It's a great work that God does. But, but he still, he comes up against opposition and they even take him before the proconsul in Achaia. They, they, they take him to court. They put him on trial. So he, he has kickback there in Corinth. And Luke tells us that Apollos, he, when he strolled into town, he came up against them as well. But he held his own against them, we're told. We're told he powerfully refuted them, publicly showing proving from the scriptures beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Christ. The word translated showing means Apollos presented irrefutable evidence from their scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And guess what? He didn't just do it once. That word is in the imperfect tense. You know what that means? It means it's something he did in the past, but he continued to do over and over and over again. He, he continued to go day after day. And he, he powerfully proved that Christ is Jesus. Jesus is the Christ over and over again. Apollos crushed them with his arguments. Now, Jesus' person and work, though mysterious in ways, it is, isn't it? There, there are ways in which Jesus' person and work is mysterious to us. It doesn't defy reason. It doesn't go against reason, but it goes beyond our capabilities. Him being fully God and fully man and, and the ins and outs of all of the work that he accomplished at Calvary. There's mysterious elements to that, yet though that's the case, listen, believers, our faith, the Christian faith, is an intelligible faith that has and will continue to be defended by those who come to understand it. And the problem is with people, see, a lot of people say the reason why they don't believe is because they're just honestly skeptical. They mask their unbelief in honest skepticism, and they say, you know, I would believe that if there was proof to believe that. But you know what God's Word tells us? It says that their hearts are darkened says they don't want to believe in Christ. They don't want to trust in him. You know who said this? Jesus did. In John chapter 3, he said this clearly. The light is coming to the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
According to Jesus, people do not want to believe and receive him because they don't want him. And the work that he has done applied to their lives. They don't want the gospel to be true because that means they have to come face to face with their sin and they have to forsake their sin and they have to turn from the life they so dearly love and give their life up and over to Jesus. They love darkness rather than the light because their hearts are darkened and their, and their works are evil. But listen, Christ can be known. He can be. He wants to be known by us. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is this. Do you want to know him? Do you want to live for him? Do you want the perfect life that he lived applied to your life? And are you willing to give your life up and over to him? Because that's what it takes. That's what it means to take up your cross and follow Christ. Pray this morning for those of you all who are willing that you would turn from your sin if you have not and give your life up and over to Jesus. And for those of you all who are not, maybe you're here and you've been here a few times and you plan on leaving today the same way you leave every Sunday, leaving, going out from this place, living as you've always lived. For those of you who haven't decided in your hearts that you're going to reject the light of the world, I want you to know I'm praying for you, whoever you are. I'm glad that you're here. It's not by accident that you're here. It's by God's grace that you're hearing his gospel preach this morning. I'm praying for you. I'm I'm praying that God would, would intervene, that God would do a work in your heart and life and awaken you to your sinfulness and your need and that you would turn from that and you would make Christ your Lord. For those of you all who are willing, I pray you would do that today. Give your life up and over to Jesus. Turn over the reins of your life. Give it over to Christ. Make him your Lord and be saved. Let's pray.